The scripture reading for this morning comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is God's word. Amen, amen. Good morning, Metro Press. I want to thank you guys for allowing me to share the word this morning. I am incredibly, incredibly honored uh, to stand amongst you guys this morning um, just to share the word with you guys. And I praise God for that. Also, I'm incredibly humbled to stand amongst you. You know, if I'm honest, when I first attended Metro Press, it was more, I, I thought of it as a spiritual pit stop. And I, my plan was to just kind of be here and to heal and to rest and then move on. And I never would have thought two years down the line I'd be here worshiping with brothers and sisters in Christ. So I praise God for you. As we dive into the sermon series this morning of the idols of the heart and how the gospel shapes us, Will you guys join me in prayer this morning as we dive into the word? Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day of rest where we get to hear your word. We praise you, Lord God, for we are reminded, Lord God, of who we once were. But Lord, in Christ, we are found and we are renewed. And only by the power of your saving grace. Lord God, we pray this morning, Lord God, that you will um, allow uh, this word to speak. I pray, Lord God, that you will open all of our hearts and that you will allow us to be honest of who we really are, that we can be honest about, Lord, our brokenness. And Lord God, may you speak um, loudly and boldly, Lord God, into this passage today, Lord God. I pray that, Lord, you will infuse our hearts with the Holy Spirit right now, Lord God, that we may be receptive. And, Lord God, I pray that you will use me accordingly to your strength. Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that you allow me to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands, for I desire to be used by you. Lord, may your word speak this morning. We praise you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. There's a recent article in Fast Company, and it talks about the rising popularity of the social media app Instagram. 
Uh, for some that may not know what Instagram is, Instagram uh, allows you to share and, and like photos uh, with other people, right? And all statistics indicate is that Instagram is actually going to be the pace setter uh, for social media apps to come. Um, statistics show that Instagram users were 58 more times likely to share a brand's post than Facebook and 120 times more likely than Twitter. Essentially, what the article is arguing is that businesses need to use Instagram because these photos will be the primary tool for data gathering and commercial publicity, all from a single image. See, advertisers know that image is never just an image. An image is actually telling of one's wants and needs. Even in the ancient world, uh, an image was never just a pagan statue of wood and stone, right? In the ancient world, uh, it was an image pagan statue was always believed to carry the very essence of that which it represented. And scripture would actually be aligned with this as well. When we look in the scriptures, when we look at this word, there too is the significance and importance of an image. When we look at Genesis 1, it tells us actually the true purpose of an image. It's here in what we would in the Latin call the imago Dei, the image of God. But what does that actually mean for us this morning? What does it mean to be created as the image of God? And what does it mean for our lives today? Today we have four points for the word as we dive through the text. Four points. Image created image distorted, image restored, and image in glory. First point, image created. Let's read verse 26. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. What we see in verse 26 now is a clear distinction from the rest of creation. There is a clear distinction from what's happening. God created the earth and the sea, and now there's a distinction of image, and now he creates male and female. Now, out of all creation, this is the only place where we see creation made under his image. We continue with verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So when we see verse 26 and 27, there is a clear distinction between the rest of it. And now we see the purpose of it. We see that there is male and female. He created them. And essentially that is supposed to mirror the image of God. Meaning that there is a a, a disposition of relationship. Meaning that what is innately special for creation is to function as a relational being. That our image is to have a relationship with God himself. The image tells us that it is a capacity to relate to God. 
It means that God can have a personal relationship with you. It means that God speaks to you. It means that God talks to you. It means that God is walking with you. In the same way, you can talk to him. In the same way, you can seek him. In the same way, you can praise his name. One biblical scholar says, human beings are created in such a way that their very existence is intended to be their relationship with God. To simply rephrase, the image of God is not something we possess, but rather it is something that we are. The image of God is not something we possess, but it is something that we are. Let me explain. Some of my closest friends right now, they're in a stage of parenthood. And it's such a humbling and amazing thing to actually watch that some of my closest friends that I grew up with now becoming parents. And it's such an amazing thing to see. What's so amazing is seeing that these two people coming together, right, coming together and just sacrificing, giving their life to this one child, their love, their devotion, their everything, all poured out onto one child. But it's interesting because if you think about it, that love is so unconditional and in a lot of ways it's really undeserved. The child didn't do anything. The child can't do anything, right? But so what? What do we see is that regardless of its inability to do anything, the parents love the child unconditionally. The love never changes. They are just in awe of their creation. They are just in awe knowing that they created this child and it's theirs. And just for that single reason alone, they do anything and everything unconditionally for this child. It's theirs and nothing could separate that. All the parents need to know is that they created the child, it's under their image, and it's in their own possession. See, in the same way, the image of God is our relationship to God himself. You did nothing to gain the possession. It's only because of God's sheer grace that he allows you to enter in a relationship with him. But what do we see? What do we see in verse, in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, we actually see that it was not enough for man. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the heart of man. We see that it, he wanted more. And because of this wanting desire, the image becomes, point two, distorted. See, in Genesis chapter 3, we see that the image that was once perfect is now distorted. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that there is a serpent being manipulative, crafty, and deceitful. And he says to creation, and he says, take this fruit and you will be like God. The fruit was actually just an image. And it was an image of the true desire of creation. You know, I hate that one phrase that people always say. 
the devil made me do it, right? You know, you never hear people say that. The devil made me do it. I hate that phrase because the devil ain't make you do jack. It was out of your own heart and out of your own volition to take that. See, the fruit was just an image of the true desire of creation. See, for Adam and Eve, the, the idolatry was wanting to be like God. And because of this eating of the forbidden fruit, the image once perfect is now distorted in sin. What does that show us today? It shows us this. It shows us that idols are destructive. It shows that the images that you value and the images that you become are very, very destructive. Because if Adam's idolatry can cause havoc in all of creation, it most certainly will reap havoc in your life and the lives that are surrounding you. That image is distorted, and we see it in an idol. What's an idol? An idol is the one thing in your life that you become enslaved to. An idol is the one thing that you will work for day and night. Your blood, your sweat, your tears invested into this one God replacement. And what this God replacement will do is it will make you conform. It will make you, um, it will make you conform your values. It will make you conform your beliefs and your convictions just to have a little taste An idol can be anything. It can be a relationship. An idol can be your success. An idol can be your freedom. John Calvin says this, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Meaning that what was once of God, what was once good, is now easily becoming an idol. Look at verse 28 with me. It's kind of like a, a, a case study, if you will. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Roll over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and other, over every living creature that moves on the ground. What this passage is telling us of what creation was meant to do. What creation was meant to do is we were meant to subdue. We were meant to rule. We were meant to be vice regents, if you will, and to have dominion over creation. But what happens is that because of Genesis 3 and and the fall is that actual call to subdue is now reversed. That because of the fall, uh, we who were once called to subdue, everything else is now subduing us. Once meant to be fruitful in our work, we now find our identity in work success. Once meant to be fruitful and multiply. Now we find our idolatry and our value in sex and relationship. Once meant to only be approved by the very love of God. Now we find our approval in every person that surrounds us today. Question, Metro Prez, what are your idols? How do they distort your image? How do they they enslave you? 
How do they drive you into fear? How do they drive you into anxiety? How does it make you jealous? How does it make you become more lustful? How does it make you become uh, someone that's filled with hatred? See, we often lust after these images and these idols, and we think that it leaves us satisfied. Trust me, it never does. We become enslaved, and we always want more. Now, what happens is when we get consumed um, by our idolatries, and um, there becomes... If, if in Christ and if this, the, the word begins to convict you, what begins to happen is, is uh, um, hopelessness. What do I mean is that, you know, when you realize that these idols are actually consuming you and you realize that these things are taking over your lives and you realize that you're being enslaved to your idolatry, what often happens is this feeling of hopelessness comes because you realize that you can't live without it. But what Scripture offers is so much more. See, what Scripture offers is that the once created image that was perfect, but now distorted because of our sin, is actually restored in Him. Look at Colossians 1 verse 15. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. See that even though that this image was once distorted, broken, unfixable, and unattainable because of the image of the Son, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, we now have an image that is restored. Church, this is the power of the gospel. That though we were imaged perfectly, Adam seeking to be like God, and yes, it did distort the image, but what God would do in sheer grace is he would send Christ, his son, the perfect image to be fully defiled on the cross so his blood covers our distortion. Meaning this, the image is restored only because of the true image bearer, Jesus Christ. Without him, the image of man will never be enough. There is nothing that you and I can do to fix or perfect this image. You can have your best dress on, it won't matter. You can have your nicest pocket square, it will not matter. The only thing that matters is to be dressed in his righteousness. Let me explain. Growing up, um, I grew up in a small little subsection of Philadelphia in Albany, PA. This is where I was born and raised. It's the area that I've grown to love. And growing up in Albany, um, I was never, uh, you know, my family, we were never the wealthiest. And, and one of the uh, um, things, one of the uh, uh, things that I always desired, that I always coveted as a child was cable. Never had it. Every single person in the room, every single person on the block had it. I don't know where you got cable from. But everyone had cable except me. And I always coveted this cable television. Because I didn't have cable, um, it was really difficult to watch TV. What um, we would often have to do every night 
um, watching, you know, getting ready, me and my brother and I, is, um, we would have to get these um, 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 rabbit ear antennas. I don't, do you guys even, oh man. Um, anyway, we would get these rabbit ear antennas. And, and what you would have to do is just a lot of work and effort just to get this really clear image. So, you know, um, my brother being so loving, he made me do it every time. So what I would do was I would um, get the, the, the rabbit ears and I would kind of fix and, and prop it and I would position it and what would happen was I would try to, you know, fix and you try to pick it up a little bit and you have to kind of bend it a little bit here and there. And you just, I would literally work for like five minutes until my brother says, good job, we're good. I'm like, all right, cool, Urkel time. And I would get, and as I was ready to sit back down, what would happen was the, the antenna started bending down. So what happened? The image got messed up again. So he, he's like, get your butt back there. So I had to get back. And I had to do it all over again for another couple more minutes. And I realized that uh, for, you know, TGIF, it was not very good for me. I had to really literally just stay there <laughs> for my brother's joy. He would laugh. I would laugh. But I didn't know what he was laughing at. And it was it's crazy, though, because as I'm holding this antenna, trying to get this perfect image, all I felt was anger. As a little kid, all I felt was anger. Because here I am working for this image. Here I am giving it my all, and I can't even enjoy it. In the same way, no matter what you do on your own merits, on your own works, it is never enough. You can try to prop and position your life to a perfect image for the moment, but trust me, you will get tired. You will complain. You will badmouth, and you will eventually lose that image. So what we need is someone that's going to internally prop, not in an antenna, but a cross on the road to Calvary on our behalf so that the image may be restored. That Christ is the true image because he is the perfect reflection of his glory. Are y'all with me today? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says it best that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. It's all about an image being restored, and we find it in our union with Christ. So what do we see? Let's recap. First point was that we were created perfectly under his image to enjoy and to have relationship and to worship him. But because of the fall, that image now becomes distorted, and there's no way on our own works and righteous we can get it back. But the image becomes restored because the true image bearer is upon us as we speak. What does it mean to be in his image at this moment? What does it mean to be his image today? 
The word that stands out to me, and this is the fourth point, is glory. Glory is often defined as beauty, radiance, a heavy weight. Simply to say man's function as the image is to give him glory, to make him look good. That in your life, in everything that you do, is to show him off. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 says, is to be made in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Meaning to image glory is to know and to be more like him. But how do we become more like him? I think when we think about this image of Christ, we assume uh, that it is suffering. That is just suffering. But let me say this. It's not just suffering. Now, before y'all get, you know, real shifty-eyed on me and start thinking I'm a heretic, let me, let me explain a little bit. Uh, um, what I mean is this, that it's never just suffering. See, what Christ did was suffer, but in suffering, he was perfect and blameless. In suffering, he was holy and loving. In suffering, he was obedient and he was a pleasant aroma. In his suffering, all that he did is that it led to glory. Meaning to image God today is not just suffering. Everyone suffers. Everyone in this room has suffered. Everyone in East Falls has suffered. Everyone in Philadelphia has suffered. Everyone in this world suffers. But let me make this plain. Not everyone is in Christ. Meaning is not just our suffering, but how God shapes us in the suffering how God shapes our conviction, and how God shapes us, how he shapes our character, that we fix our eyes on Jesus when our lives seem unfixable. It was only a few years ago since God decided to reveal my idolatry It's like one day God just decided to say, I'm gonna I'm gonna have I'm gonna do some work in you today. So what God did was he stripped everything away from me and he put it on my in my face and said, This is no good. This ain't enough. I had idolatry issues, church. I wrestled with approval. I wrestled with control. I wrestled with comfort. I wrestled with success. I wrestled with relationships. All these idolatries, all these images in my face now, I realized that in every shape and form, it consumed my life. And God wanted more. He said, no more. I need to shape you. I need to refine you, brother. I need to let you know that you're not, I don't want you to just say these words. I don't want you to just preach the gospel, but I need you to be transformed by it. And he took it all. 
felt hopeless, I felt broken, had no hope at times. It was only a few years ago when he took away what I, at the time was, I thought, my call in life, my call to ministry. It was my idolatries that had my marriage into a divorce. It was my idolatry that broke me. But God was good. Let me say that to y'all. That God, let me say this. God is so good. If y'all don't remember one thing that I said this whole time, why is this bald dude yelling at me? Just know this, that God is good and he is gracious in your life. And he was good. He was so, so good. He told me during that time, he said, I needed you to be more not like those idols that you're seeking. He said, I need you to be more like me. I need you to be conformed to the likeness of a son. I need you to be strengthened in faith and in character. I need you to be more authentic. I need you to be transformed by the gospel. To be in Christ is not just suffering. It's so much more is that in suffering, that your conviction and character is being shaped. Look, church family, I'm not trying to say, share the story to be the hero of this message. Please believe that's not the case. My point is that the story, my, my, my this brokenness testimony is to show you guys who the true hero is. That is in Christ, in humility and suffering, but to have hope and joy, the sanctification process, if you will, it's what it means to truly give glory as an image, of be- image bearer, the image of God. So how do we overcome our false images? That's the question for today, practically, as we head off. How do we overcome our desires for false images? How do you and I overcome our idolatrous hearts? I think practically one thing we can do is, number one, identify them, right? Figure it out. Work it out. Write it down. Wrestle with it. Pray. What are your idol factors? What consumes you? What enslaves you? What breaks you? What makes you anxious? What makes you fatigued? What makes you dissatisfied? What makes you angry? What makes them break trust? to the people that surround you. Think about how these idolatries break the relationships that you're connected to. And ultimately, how it is rebellion against God. Let this break you. When you realize what your idols do and how it consumes your life, how it consumes every minute, how it consumes every second. Man, let that break you. Let that break you so that you may look to the true image bearer, the one to give you full satisfaction, for there is an everlasting hope in Christ so that we are no longer enslaved by our idolatrous ways, but to glory in our Redeemer, until he comes one day and he tells us 
just as in verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very, very good. Good. 